When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Well, hello. Welcome to Friday Headlines, where we're discussing the need to know news headlines as they relate to climate and the environment. We're going to start off today with a new study that was published earlier this month that found there are places on this planet that may indeed become unlivable for human beings as the earth warms. This study found that in the hottest parts of the world, high temperatures and humidity will surpass a threshold and even young and healthy people may struggle to survive. The researchers projected hundreds, if not thousands of hours each year with such extreme conditions across parts of Asia, the Middle East, and Africa. Parts of Pakistan may be unlivable for human beings for three weeks out of the year. Parts of Yemen may be unlivable for humans for months out of the year. In places like Europe and North America, where people are not acclimated to intense heat, temperatures and humidity could surpass the survivability threshold a couple of times each decade, and that is among the most conservative warming estimates. Now, the study does not project such extreme heat and humidity in Europe or North America. However, in Europe, for example, air conditioning is rare, and so the study warns that there we may see mass fatalities and casualties. Now, researchers have long known that there is a level at which the human body can no longer cool itself and its internal temperature just rises uncontrollably. This study found that the level, whatever the level is in which humans' bodies can no longer cool themselves, the level is actually much lower than we previously thought. And so this particular study highlights the fact that it's not just about rising temperatures. It's also about the fact that there is a lower limit than we thought as to how much heat and humidity a human body can withstand. And so take those things together and add the fact that exposure to heat and humidity will only increase dramatically for longer stretches in the coming decade. So it's all these things happening together. Now, the study did highlight, too, the fact that such extreme heat and humidity in North America will be brief. They say that about a day's worth of this extreme heat and humidity could occur on average just one day a year in New York City and Chicago, and that's under the most aggressive global warming scenarios. So the research really does highlight the fact that the most severe impacts of climate change will be felt in countries 
across Asia, Africa, and the Middle East, these countries that have done the least to create the problem. We're moving on to our oceans. To slow climate change, some researchers are thinking about engineering, re-engineering the ocean. This is a controversial idea. Engineering the ocean means removing atmospheric carbon dioxide by using algae. It was abandoned as an idea in the past, but now there's some renewed interest as our climate problems worsen. So let's talk about the oceans for a minute. They're often overlooked as a major player in climate mitigation. Algae and seaweed absorb CO2. That absorption helps keep carbon from entering the atmosphere and warm the planet more. Some researchers, again, find themselves thinking of whether we should engineer the ocean to grow more algae because, of course, the algae absorbs the CO2. But before you jump on board, let's discuss... Certain parts of the ocean are low in iron, and algae needs iron to grow. So if we engineer the ocean by adding iron to the ocean, algae will grow and therefore absorb more carbon. This, by the way, it's called iron enrichment. Now, again, iron enrichment as an idea has been around for years, It was abandoned because adding iron to the ocean to grow algae can trigger algae blooms. Algae blooms, by the way, can create low oxygen dead zones in bodies of water, not just oceans, but lakes as well, which kill marine animals. And so tinkering with ecosystems, it's never a good idea, right? Ecosystems are complex. They're also fragile and delicate. And so opponents to iron enrichment argue that this potential global warming mitigation strategy will only lead to bigger and grander problems for us. And yet, there is a subset of scientists who argue that we are staring down climate doomsday, and they are indeed wondering whether the time to tinker with oceanic ecosystems is now. Now, to be clear, scientists who advocate for iron enrichment They're not suggesting we go out and dump lots of iron into the ocean right now. They're not saying that. They are only suggesting that the scientific community conducts more experiments to see whether iron enrichment can be done safely. They're not suggesting we go out and just do this willy-nilly. They want to test it to see if it's a potential solution. We need some empirical research, right? Especially since at the moment, for-profit companies are already moving ahead with iron enrichment in hopes of cashing in big. In 10 years, we will be rapidly looking. We'll be struggling. We will be scrambling for climate solutions. We're not scrambling yet, but we will be. And so advocates of iron enrichment say, let's get the testing. Let's get the data done now. So that's iron enrichment. Let's move along and talk about the ozone. So the ozone layer, just so we're all on the same page, the ozone is an atmospheric shield that screens out the sun's ultraviolet radiation. Remember when we almost destroyed the ozone? (laughs) We almost destroyed it completely. Well, thanks to the Montreal Protocol, which, by the way, is an international treaty that phased out those gases that were damaging the ozone layer, thanks to the Montreal Protocol, we saved the ozone and therefore ourselves. 
The Montreal Protocol has been hailed as the most successful international environmental treaty ever adopted. But, and it's a big but, a watchdog group named the Environmental Investigation Agency has found that there is a big lapse in the treaty that is now allowing U.S. factories to emit gases that damage the ozone layer and warm the earth. Now let's talk about gases for a minute. The type of gases that harm the ozone are called F gases, and there are two types of F gases. There are the chlorofluorocarbons, the CFCs, and the hydrofluorocarbons, the HFCs. Since 2010, the Montreal Protocol banned the production of chlorofluorocarbons, the CFCs. And since 2019, an amendment to the protocol required countries to phase out the HFCs. Now, I should say here too, CFCs and HFCs are key components of our modern lives, right? They are used in refrigerators and air conditioners and foam packaging and insulation. But phasing out the CFCs in particular has a double environmental benefit. It scales back a destroyer of the ozone. It also, CFC being a greenhouse gas, it also reduces this greenhouse gas with thousands of times the global warming potential of carbon dioxide from entering the atmosphere. Now, most recently, since the CFCs and the HFCs are either gone completely or getting phased out, industries have substituted in HFOs, which have a much smaller climate impact. Their impact is just about 10 times that of carbon dioxide, so a smaller impact. But guess what HFOs are? They're a forever chemical that persists in the environment for years without breaking down. And so members of the Environmental Investigation Watchdog Agency used a portable infrared spectroscopic gas detection to capture and analyze samples of plumes of F-gases that are, by the way, invisible to the naked eye, and they notice these F-gases wafting from two facilities, one in Texas and one in Louisiana. And so this treaty, the Montreal Protocol, it does not fully eliminate these pollutants. It allows for these F-gases to continue to be produced as long as the gases are used as feedstocks to make other chemicals. 15 facilities across the country use the gases for this purpose, to make feedstock. So they're still emitting them into the atmosphere. At the Louisiana plant, by the way, the company who owns the plant is Honeywell. So at the Honeywell plant, These devices detected emissions of three types of CFCs that are banned globally, except, of course, when they're used to make other chemicals as feedstock. Honeywell reported emissions of one type of the CFC to the EPA in 2018, but not in 2019, not in 2020, not in 2021. The group, the watchdog group, also detected emissions of four types of HFCs that Honeywell had not reported to the EPA in 2019, in 2020, in 2021, or 2022. So they're emitting these ozone-killing gases, and they're not reporting it. Environmentalists, of course, they're not happy. They see this as a major loophole in the protocol that must be addressed later this month. Later this month, negotiators from almost 200 countries 
are going to meet in Nairobi to evaluate the implementation and enforcement of the Montreal Protocol. We're going to take our quick ad break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about climate rules that are coming for corporate America. We're also going to talk about Taylor Swift really quick. I know, we can't escape Taylor Swift, not even on this show. I'll see you in a minute. Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection. They use many sustainable materials without compromising on style. And here's the best part. Home Threads always has the best value. It was time. After nine years of living in our home, it was time to replace our outdoor furniture. And my husband and I, we went to Home Threads. We have a Home Threads patio umbrella and a new bench. And oh my goodness, we are so in love. Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. So many of us have chaotic closets that are crammed full of clothing items and yet somehow we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to. Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch They wear better than the cashmere sweaters that are double their price. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash sustainable podcast for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sustainable podcast to get free shipping and 365 day returns. One more time, quince.com slash sustainable podcast. And we're back. Before the break, we discussed places on Earth that could become unlivable for humans as the planet warms. We talked about engineering the ocean with iron. Controversial. We also discussed the release of HFCs and CFCs at some plants here in America that hurt the ozone. And now we're moving on to potential climate rules coming for businesses in America. We have been shown time and time again that we cannot rely on the vast majority of companies to do anything related to their emissions voluntarily, whether it be reducing those emissions or even accurately reporting their emissions. Enter upcoming regulations from the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, also known as the SEC, that would potentially force businesses to disclose their emissions and the risks they face from climate change. Now, I want to be clear at the outset that these proposed SEC regulations would make companies disclose their emissions, not reduce their emissions, just report them accurately so that investors can have a better picture of what's happening behind the scenes. Now, not surprisingly, right, businesses and corporate lobbyists, they have been pressuring the SEC to pare back, scale back its requirements. 
Let's talk about what the proposed requirements say. Broadly, the proposed rules state that companies would have to report on the threats they're facing from global warming. They would have to report how extreme weather is affecting their financial performance. They would also have to say how executives are managing climate risk. All this information will help investors decide which companies to, well, invest in. But here's where things get sticky. Under the SEC's proposed regulations, there's an entire chain of production and activity whose pollution corporations would have to calculate. Let's take a shoemaker as an example. A shoemaker would have to say how much pollution is coming from its factories and corporate offices. Even deeper than that, the shoemaker would have to tally emissions that don't come directly from its operations. For example, how much climate pollution is created by the power plants that feed electricity to its factories. That's layer two. And layer three, which is the most controversial of all and what the lobbyists and businesses are really fighting back against is called scope three emissions. Scope three emissions would entail the pollution from the businesses that make the rubber and the leather that the shoemaker uses. How much pollution is coming from the ships and trucks that deliver its shoes to customers. So scope three really provides the information that encompasses a business's entire operation. The SEC's goal, of course, is to ensure that publicly traded corporations are reporting accurate and comparable information, while also making sure that they're not misleading investors and also the public through greenwashing. The SEC is not the only regulatory body seeking to impose some regulatory requirements. Regulators in the EU, in the UK, in Hong Kong, they have also been writing their own rules for what companies have to tell investors. And so in the coming months, the SEC is expected to announce what sort of climate information companies are going to have to start disclosing. Stay tuned as to whether those scope three emissions make the cut. Now, before we say goodbye, really quick, let's talk about Taylor Swift. I know maybe you saw the tweet going around. Is it still called a tweet if the company is now called X? It can't be. Did you see the X going around? That doesn't make any sense. Well, anyway, the tweet, I'm going to use the word tweet. Elon, don't come for me. But a director earlier this month wrote a tweet which said, quote, I wish Taylor Swift was in love with a climate scientist. Maybe you saw it. I mean, it's hilarious. If Taylor Swift was in love with a climate scientist, goodness, maybe the public would start caring about our climate woes. Olivia Wilde, the director, dated Harry Styles, director, actress, very famous. She shared the post on her own social media, and the Swifties accused Wilde of throwing shade at Taylor Swift. She was heckled and harassed by the Swifties. Wilde says, you know, of course, she meant no harm. She was obviously just making a comment on how much attention gets paid to stupid things like Taylor Swift's love life. However, I wanted to just mention this today, the tweet and the controversy that came out of it, because there's good news at the end of the day. And the good news is that finally, celebrity gossip 
has some substance. So Swifties, pay attention. The commentary is not on who Taylor Swift is dating. The commentary is on the fact (laughs) that we need somebody like Taylor Swift to date a climate scientist so the masses like you Swifties can get on board with the fact that we have some serious climate problems. That's our show today. We will be back on Tuesday. It's been a while since I've aired an interview, but I do have an interview for you on Tuesday. I will see you then. Have an amazing weekend. As always, reach out if you need me and take care. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.